When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, hello and welcome to our first week two Australian Open tennis podcast. The second week has begun in earnest. The quarterfinal lineups are officially set. David and Matt are with me. David, how are you feeling? What are your levels of pumped? Oh, they're right up there. Although they've just taken a bit of a hit in the last hour or two because of the uh, the curtailing of the uh, evening session. But I'm also slightly selfishly pleased as well, just to have a bit of a bit of a break <laughs> before what what is to come matt pumped levels not un, not related to fulham beating everton <laughs> or maybe you can't disentangle the mm, two exactly yeah t- tennis wise probably as low as pumped levels have been this tournament mm. let's be honest are you, are you surprised by david's pumped levels there i was a bit <laughs> taken aback you, you need you I need somewhere to go from here, David. I'm never surprised by David's pump levels. <laughs> Don't you worry, Catherine. <laughs> I, I'm, u- I'm using um, – um, uh, it's, it's all, A, it's kind of residual from yesterday, and it's also looking ahead to the future. You've, you've, what... you've got your nitrous oxide in <laughs> yeah. reserve, ready to slingshot yeah. you through to, the, through to the quarterfinal stages. Okay. Correct. Um, because I would say today was rather summed up by the sort of day that – whoever was operating the fake crowd noise had, which was a shocker. It was erratic at best, <laughs> I, I think. It? I think the person that operated it yesterday must have either hated it and just said, I'm not doing that again, or called in sick, or I don't know. It can't have been the same person because everybody was praising it as the best tennis fake crowd noise there had been, particularly yeah. given that they'd had no time to prep for that. This person was presumably called in at last minute and just completely, you know, outdid themselves. Well, yeah. I don't know what happened today, whether it was bring your daughter to work day or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yesterday it was 
Ash Barty at the controls with a lovely feather-like touch and an, and a, and a, an ability to inject pace when necessary. I'm, I'm really the, looking forward to finding out who you're going to throw under the bus here, David. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, the performance today was delivered by Irina Sabalenka when she's having an off day. And um, <laughs> nice save ba- there. Nice save. Basically thrashing around and injecting a, a disproportionate amount of pace when really a drop shot was required. I thought it was like when you get into a lift or an elevator for our American listeners and uh, there's a parent in there with a child and the parent lets the child press every button. <laughs> so you have I, to I, stop I, at every flipping floor on the way down. Yeah, yeah. And I, you're I mean, not allowed to get annoyed at that child because apparently that's the most fun thing that, you know, yeah. they're able to do. That happens a lot in our family with my kids and they get really angry at me, but I just can't help myself. (laughs) Oh, and that was such a dad joke. And Matt is, Matt's unable to continue (laughs) podcasting momentarily because he's laughing so hard. (laughs) It was the delivery. It's always in the delivery. It was great, David. (laughs) Yeah, it was a it was a really ropey day for um for the freight crowd noise, but in sort of a quite amusing, um, gentle way. Well, not gentle at all. Irina Sabalenka on an off day, but in a sort of you know, it just highlights the weirdness did, of it all, doesn't it? I did feel for the, some of the commentators who you know they can't criticize it and i wouldn't expect them to uh, on the world feed particularly given that they're, they're probably sitting next door <laughs> pressing the buttons um but uh, you know the, i mean i i believe espn's chris fowler commented on it during commentary that crikey it's a bit loud today isn't it um and the point was you know right somebody hits a great shot and the commentator would 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 exclaim about what a wonderful shot it was and you would then not hear them because because the button had been pressed so loudly <laughs> And you, David, on on the radio were dealing with replays, um, which yes. replays which included the crowd noise. So you'd 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 get it sort of regurgitated. Yes, uh, I mean we, we just operate a very honest policy of saying exactly what's happening. I these are replays, folks. This isn't real. Oh dear, my screen's gone down, so I can't tell you what's happening anymore. Uh, things like that. I'm not in Melbourne courtside. I'm sitting in a, a Strictly Come Dancing ballroom production office. Yeah, there haven't been nearly enough photos of you with um, Strictly Come Dancing paraphernalia this tournament, David. So if you could step up your act on that, we will put that content in the newsletter sign up do sign up to the newsletter we've had what 200 new signups this no 400 400 400 in a week there you go if if you're missing it you're missing out uh so what about the tennis then uh we started with uh, jessica pagula defeating alina svitolina 6-4-3-6-6-3 that is her first uh, run to a major quarterfinal and her first top 10 victory all in one. Um, and it was very, very hard earned from, from Pagula. She, you know, she, she was by far the better player. I thought, you know, she was taking the chances as, as is often the case when Alina Svitolina is, is being beaten. That's what it looks like. She looks like the, the really conservative risk averse player. 
again, somebody taking chances and those chances paying off. Um, but she was a set in a breakup and she lost that break lead to lose the second set. And there was a moment where she framed a smash. Um, and I thought, oh, no, she's she's thinking about it. She's thinking. Did you of- think she would lose at this point? When she lost that I, second set, yes, I did. I did. I wasn't watching it. I, 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 this was when I did allow myself sleep. You were watching this, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, I did. I did think she'd lose. I did. You know, it, it was it was a sort of classic blueprint of a of a. I know she's not that young, but in terms of her her career trajectory, the inexperienced player against you know Svitolina's sort of the ultimate nightmare in in that situation she's she's consistency she'll make she's consistent she'll make you win it she's she's got all the experience um and she, and she was playing into that Svitolina she knew that she had to make Jessica Pagula think about it think about the position that she was in and then she framed that smash and lost the second set definitely I thought Svitolina was was on to win the third and I'm I'm so full of admiration uh, the steeliness of Pagula to to steady that ship and and win through the the third set six three. Um, yeah, you, you kind of expect her either to blast her off the court or mm, lose mm. is what I probably would have expected yeah. if you'd have asked me before the match. Yeah, definitely. She in her previous six matches against top ten players, Pagula, she'd only managed to win one set, and that was last week against Sophia Kennan. So we're looking at a completely different tennis player now. It's like. It's like Jennifer Brady at the back end of last year, all head-to-heads and sort of all graphics that might flash up ahead of her matches sort of have descended into irrelevance because she's not that tennis player anymore. Mm, Yeah, and I think she's really benefiting from these quick courts as well. As we spoke about the other day, she's got that flat hit and it really skids through the court and... I watched some of that match back this morning and I thought she was doing a really good job of rushing Svitolina and making her uncomfortable with those ground strokes. It felt like she was the one in control, even though she had to fight through her nerves to get through Svitolina. It was still on her racket. Um, yeah, there's there's a ceiling for Svitolina, it seems, at these slams at the moment. She's become incredibly reliable in these first few rounds, but... As soon as she comes up against someone who can take that racket out of her hand, she's losing these matches. I mean, the starkest one was probably Podoroska at the French Open, um, when it really felt like that was set up to be Svitolina's time. I think, yeah, she's run into Jessica Pagula on the best run of form she's ever been in, but she's becoming an opponent that can be that can be vulnerable in these in these positions against players on a hot run of form. Yeah, the conversation is no longer it's only a matter of time before Alina Svitolina wins a slam. And it really was that mm. for a while. It really was. Um, I remember the, going into a, a US Open a few years back. can't remember exactly which one. She was most people's favourite for that title. Really? Well, certainly a lot what? of people's favourite, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she was she she wins a lot. I mean, if you think of I – mean, she's always there and she doesn't usually lose early – um, and she got, of course, that win at the WTA finals. That was the big notable one, really, wasn't it? And then she got to a final the, the year after as well. I don't expect her to win slams, no. personally. And I don't feel like I ever really have. And and here's what I don't understand. 
I don't understand how she hasn't had a year like Sophia Kenin has had because I don't see that there's that much difference. There's, uh, but Kenin, when she was a set and love 40 down, she finds inspiration. She's capable of inspiring stuff. And yet I still don't really – I look at them side by side and I think, well, why can't, why can't Svitolina do that? And I think she just probably doesn't go for broke in the same way when her back's against the wall. She's inhibited to some degree. Um, you have to be able to play above your standard foundation level. And her standard foundation level is really high. It's just that you, you, I'm not sure you can win a slam like that. Mm. You have to have, you have to be able to just go out of your comfort zone and, and take it. And I think you might be able to lift out what you just said there, David, and insert it into the chat we're going to have about Elise Mertens in, yeah, in a little I think while. That's probably true. Um, but, but by the way, Pegula, I mean, she, does she? I haven't watched a complete match of hers this week. Does she? What does she do? How does she win these matches? Apart from being steely, as you described, what about her game? Well, I think Matt's. It, it, I mean, it is. It's a. It's a college style game, isn't it? It's. It's an American college style game. She does have that big forehand, as Matt said. The the flat hits. That she gets a lot out of her serve. I don't think it's the the biggest serve, but she gets a lot out of it. This speed of court definitely is suiting her, her really well. How would you, how would you rate her movement, Matt? I would say it's not a weakness, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. She's not glaring. It looks like she's maybe worked hard to make it not a weakness, sort of acknowledging that it's never going to be at the forefront of her game. Um, do you think Brady has made a difference to her, her success? Yeah, quite, you know? I, I was thinking that quite possibly, quite possibly, because they're really close and, and you know, similar kind of careers. Pagula bloomed a bit later, I think, or certainly I became aware of Jessica, Jessica Pagula a bit later than I, I was aware of Jennifer Brady. But she has completely transformed herself, Jennifer Brady. And how could you not look at that and think, oh, well, anything's possible? How could you not? Um, and it's so lovely that they're going to play one another in the next round. And I hope it isn't. Hope it isn't weird because of that. Um, she wrote. Uh, she wrote. See you in. See you next round, Gen B. Uh, on the cap. No, she said. See you next round, Gen B. Well, she wrote it. She wrote it. Yeah. She wrote it yeah, because it's been a it's been a big week for post match camera signing. People have been writing all sorts of things on there, like sort of because coded messages. Jennifer Brady wrote "Bring it, Jess" on the camera. Yeah, exactly. Um, after she won, um, but yeah, it's it's great, and it's totally this collegiate spirit, isn't it? And I, I just hope it doesn't make that much weird that they are such close friends. Mm. But there's there's a real steeliness to both of them, so I suspect they will be able to to turn it off and be ruthless, dead-eyed assassins. For the for the period of time that's required, yeah, they played at the Western and Southern Open last year, and Pagula won. And then, obviously, Brady went on to have that run at the U.S. Open. That was, I suppose, that Western and Southern match was sandwiched in between Brady's big runs last summer in Lexington and and New York. So perhaps there's not still a big deal, though. Yeah, just to. To have a win under her belt against Brady helps, I think. But Brady is in 
some incredible form. Pressure's on Brady, isn't isn't it, really? Because she's supposed to win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, her set scores we've got written down here, 6-1, 6-3, 6-1, 6-2, 6-1, 6-3, 6-1, and then a 7-5. Yeah, I mean, Donna Vekic getting a 7-5 set off her and with her whole right leg taped up sort of from top to bottom, um, she should get sort of a mini little trophy for that. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, I think Brady is the last player standing who was in hard quarantine, certainly in the yes, women's that's draw. Right. I think I, yeah. don't, I don't know about Karatsev's circumstances. I've not heard that he was in Nobody hard quarantine. Nobody knows anything about Karatsev's circumstances. <laughs> it's shrouded in mystery and he doesn't give you anything in the press conference, so we might never know, other than that he's Vladimir Putin's secret weapon. <laughs> I saw him with a big smile on his face today. Did you? First time I've seen one yeah. of those. Was that yeah. in the staged photo shoot correct i've got i've got more on that staged photo <laughs> shoot later david okay but, i um, think it might have taken quite some time to elicit that smile <laughs> maybe they were tickling him or something <laughs> <laughs> suddenly he's busy he's beaming <laughs> but brady mentioned in her encore interview something very interesting i thought that she said she was researching hard quarantine before she came to Australia. Now, that very much shows that the players were aware that 14 days of hard quarantine was an option. Certainly those players Mm. who attended the meetings and read their emails, they were aware it was a possibility. And Brady said she was reading reviews of how people had coped in 14 days of hard quarantine because she just thought, I'm not sure I can do that. But she said it was quite reassuring to hear that people could do it and then the bikes and the weights and things that Tennis Australia provided to help her keep fit were extremely helpful. And then she mentioned the fact that, you know, kind of like we've been talking about this this spirit between the players, there was a spirit between the players in hard quarantine a little bit as well. You know, they were messaging each other three days to go, two days to go. And just, I think it sounds like there was a, a dual battle going on with the players in hard quarantine. There was the, the physical trying to stay fit but also the mental trying to stay positive I suppose and it seems like Brady really managed to strike that balance perhaps better than anyone. Mm, That's very interesting. She um, just briefly going back to Jessica Pagula she's kind of so new on the big scene that Brad Gilbert hasn't finalized his nickname for her yet and I understand unfortunately I haven't seen this so I'm getting this from Oh, have you? Oh, it is tremendous. Oh, well, take it away. (laughs) So she was speaking to ESPN and he gave a couple of suggestions and you could just see Pagula was just thinking, what are you going on about? Her, her, Her face was so wonderfully unbothered by it. And she just said, no, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling this. My nickname was always JP. Yeah, I'm not feeling your suggestions. I think one of them was like Pagula Loop or something. Oh, yeah, and there was I, this, don't even, I don't. Is that a, a reference? I to don't something? know. There was a silence like that when he said it. She just said no. <laughs> not feeling it. <laughs> how, how did how did Brad? He was it? really annoyed. <laughs> he tried not to show that he was annoyed, but you could you could tell. Well, you don't you don't want to go down that route, route, Jess. The last time I took the mick out of Brad Gilbert's nicknames, he blocked me on Twitter <laughs> for two years. And then I had Can't... to 
and then I had to tackle him about that. Yeah, a- Catherine, had to, Catherine had to sort of have a kind of showdown with him on whilst interviewing him yeah. in order to get me unblocked. <laughs> I've probably just been blocked again. Um, staying with the women's draw, I think this is where we had our best matches, certainly our best match. I would say that that was Carolina Mukova beating Elise Mertens 7-6, 7-5. Uh, David, I think you were covering this one on the radio. I know it was simultaneous with the, the Ash Barty-Shelby Rogers match. Um, Mertens raced to a four-love lead in the first yeah. set, won 12 <laughs> of the first 15 points and just looked looked world-beating. Yeah, she was making mincemeat out of Mukova's game, who I, I sensed was a bit nervous, and she—I don't think she was a hundred percent physically. I think there's an issue with Mukova's uh, phys, physical condition at the moment. I'm not hundred uh, percent sure what she it was is. clutching at her ab- abdominal a bit. Mm, and oh, she, not another. Yeah, one. and she pulled out of one of the pre-tournament events with an abdominal injury. Right. Okay. Well, uh, she was just I mean, trying to I be s- fashionable. That's what <laughs> everyone's doing. I only saw. I saw the first four games. Mertens was making beating her look easy. She was just hitting winner after winner, and I don't. I don't really associate Mertens with that. And I. And it did make me. It occurred to me. Maybe this is her Brady moment or someone like that, where she just becomes something else than what we're used to. And is just going to start ripping through this drawer, and good luck anybody stopping her. And then, bit by bit, I think Mukova got into a tight game with her, and just started to change the feel. And I didn't really, I wasn't, I didn't, I was watching the other match to commentate on, so I didn't get a full feel. I still don't feel I have a complete feel on what it is that Carolina Mukova does. I know that she uses variety, but I don't really understand her game yet. It's a bit like Pagula. I feel like I need to properly sit down and watch and understand it. But, you know, whatever she's doing, it's effective. Hannah on our Twitter described her forehand as rambunctious, if that helps you at all. It's a great word. Mm. Not really, but great (laughs) word. Um, What she does is comebacks. You know, she was five love down in the second set against, like the, in theory, sort of the best server in women's tennis. And it, it struck me that that must just give you an immense sense of, not quite invincibility, but certainly impossible is nothing <laughs> ability. She does seem to just have, a bit like Barty, a little, just, just seems like a really good sports person, you know, mm-hmm. just, mm. I don't, I don't know. What's your sense? She comes forward a lot, which I like. I think well over 20 net approaches today. And that was perhaps one of the keys to turning it around. Because she, as you said, she was losing those baseline rallies at the start. Um, it's much easier said than done to just say, oh, we'll just come to the net. Um, but she somehow managed to start playing the rallies on her terms a bit more. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I do feel like I need to know more about her game she she certainly lifts at the slams she's had eight top 20 wins and six of those at slams so she's doing something right in these biggest events and i think she plays ash barty next doesn't she so that will be a a clash of variety i think that'll be a lovely match carolina mooka provided she's she's fit Mm. and i really cross my fingers 
for that. I, I, I just think that'll be great. Barty uh, beat Shelby Rogers 6-3, 6-4, a kind of nicely competitive but never in doubt match. David, would you say? Yeah, I thought Barty was absolutely fantastic today. I really do. She That was her best performance of the tournament, and including the first one where she lost only 10 points. Uh, and the reason I say this is obviously the, the opposition was a lot tougher. Shelby Rogers came in here having taken a set from her a couple of weeks ago before this tournament, and... She just didn't get a chance to hit the ball. You know, she's way too... I mean, bear in mind, the scoreline 6-3-6-4 looks closer than I'm describing, but she was 5-2 up and serving for the match in the, th- in the, in the second set, Barty, and she, she decided to just try to do a bit of a Federer and go out with a flourish and try to go after some shots that were probably not what she would do if it was 3-all, you know? Um, and she missed a couple. But then she quickly got us up out together. But... I've not seen, maybe after the French Open when she had those first few rounds at Wimbledon, it was similar, where she was, where the authority on her strokes was so obvious. But on a hard court, I've never seen her hit her two-handed backhand as strongly and as authoritatively as she was. It felt like she could choose, she, as though she'd got an equal amount of control with the two-handed backhand and the slice, which I've never thought before. The two-hander has always been something she she kind of would rather not use if she doesn't have to because it's not as reliable. Well, she's she's worked on that in this last eight months where she's not been playing tournaments. She must have done because that feels like a weapon now. She was going toe-to-toe with Rogers for power. Sometimes just, come on then, forehand to forehand, you and me, let's see. Let's see who's got the bigger forehand. That's how it felt. And hers was coming off the better most of the time. She was a nightmare for Rogers, who wants to stand there and belt the ball, and she wasn't allowed to. She, oh, it was just a, a masterclass of a performance. She's so good at nullifying somebody with a big weapon because she's got that slice. She can kind of take that weapon out of your hands. Theory, and I don't like saying this, but I, I think it's really helping Barty that there's no crowds. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. I uh, couldn't agree more. It's just stripping it back to. Mm. My talent against your talent uh, and my brain against your brain and me not getting stressed out because there are people desperately loving me and wanting me to win because she's, you know, she's a, I don't want to say shy. I don't think she's shy, but she's... Um, she's not a show woman, is she? She's no, a- and she, if you give her a compliment, she'll look a bit, a little bit shy about it, a little bit embarrassed about it. You know, she's, um, she's modest in that way. And, and so I think she handles the attention well. But I think when you strip it back to just being a tennis player and a ball player, that's why I compare it to Mukova, and I am interested in that comparison. Watch her hit a golf ball off a tee. Watch her hit a cricket ball. You know, her hand-eye coordination is probably the best in the in the game, I would say, just at, at that element of it. I think Osaka has just more brute power off the serve and off the through the air and she has movement as well i mean uh, you know there's very little between them and i think i think osaka obviously has the two-handed backhand which is always reliable and always a power shot which barty like i say she's got she sometimes gets a bit caught well which one do i do and but when it's clear in her mind like today it was just i loved watching her performance Mm. yeah i agree i agree with the theory as well, 
that's not to say that crowds is bad for Barty. I think she's shown that she copes really well with the very big pressure that's on her at the Australian Open. The way, you know, this third quarter final in a row at the Australian Open now, and every year she's got one round further. But you strip it back and you just make it about the tennis and about the skills on the court. And as David's outlined, Barty is as good, if not better than anyone. And she's kind of demonstrating that the way she's won these two matches without crowds so, so cleanly. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting theory. What she's got one more round with no crowds for sure. And then mm. obviously we'll find out whether crowds come back for the semifinals onwards. Yes, the authorities, uh, just an update on that, have said they, you know, they're unable to confirm whether it will just be a five-day lockdown. I think they've described their position as well-placed uh, for it only to be five days, but at this stage, they just, they just don't know. So, so we'll see. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In the men's tournament, David, I had set... So I, I stayed up for um, the pigoulis Vitalina match and then I set a a kind of emergency alarm for 5 a.m., which was my wake up and check in on the Nadal Fanini match alarm and see if Fanini's made it exciting. 
Um, I slept through that alarm. Don't remember it going off. Um, <laughs> no recollection of what happened there. Um, and very pleased to say that Fanini did me a solid and made sure that I didn't miss out on anything. Would would that be fair? I I said, I I said that that alarm was on the off chance that Fanini did something exciting, and you said he did something exciting for three points. Mm, maybe four, because um, <laughs> he. I, if you, I wish you hadn't missed the game that he broke in the first set when he, I think he, I think he was a breakdown and then he and then he broke back straight away. Maybe it was the other way around. I can't completely. No, that was remember. right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and the the way he broke back was just a reminder of his skill set, his ability to redirect the ball out of nowhere with power, generate point finishing power off a nothing ball. There's not many people who can do that. Um, and he can because he's got such a quick arm and amazing timing, hand-eye coordination and a whip through the ball, all the rest of it. That's four points. The rest of it, he was really disappointing. And Nadal, I don't think he even played that well, to be honest. It was a really boring, disappointing match. And Nadal got the job done. Look, he did his job. But I think, Fanini will be frustrated. He should be frustrated about that performance because he's so, he's capable of so much better than that. I thought Nadal was very good in the first set, and Nadal said that he thinks that was the best tennis he's played all tournament. But after that, I agree. Nadal looked a little bit there for the taking. Certainly in the second set, he 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 played some bad points, but what he managed to do was play isolated bad points. Whereas Fanini was stringing together. I mean, games worth of underwhelming tennis, really. Um, the replay is, is on in front of me, and it's mostly just um, furrow, Fanini furrowed brow. Mm. That's... Yeah. And it, it, was the, it was the match in which I really was noticing the crowd, fake crowd noise a lot, which is never a good sign. Um, but he's the classic player who, is a, who I think of as a brilliant tennis player, but not a champion. Because here's a guy who I didn't even it hadn't even occurred to me until I heard it in the commentary that he's only ever reached one Grand Slam quarterfinal, which is a terrible return for a guy of his quality. You think the the crowd noise guy was 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 trolling, was trolling the match? <laughs> Can't have been trolling every match. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose this. As as I've declared, I slept through it. But it sounds like it sounds like a match that then that there might not have been the appropriate crowd noise for. You know that sort of <laughs> slightly confused sort of what, what what do we what do we do here? Um, yeah. Crowd murmur. Less or, less is more would have been the the way to go. Therefore, <laughs> um, but um, look. You've still got to hand it to Nadal, and here we stand a week after all saying that he wouldn't make it to the quarterfinals, and here he is in the quarterfinals. Three matches away, three wins away from taking the lead in the Grand Slam race, and no one's talking about it. No, well, and that's why we are, because it feels like it's crept up on us. And actually, we ended up having a debate on BBC Radio today about whether – a whether this 
the the whole chat about the injury might have helped him mentally not having to constantly field questions about the grand slam race because he's constantly talking about whether how his back is um and even whether it might have been in some way intentional to take the attention away i mean and i i would very firmly refute that i don't think nadal's brain works like that in the slightest i really don't so so and i'm not saying some tennis players and maybe there are certainly some sports people and football managers definitely do that kind of thing i really don't think nadal has that in in him for a second um i I just think he compartmentalizes better than anybody i've ever seen in sport let alone tennis Mm. uh, into this point this shot that's that's the way he treats it. And if if people think he's over-egging the severity of an injury given how he plays, I think it is simply he knows how he feels when he's at 100% and it, and it bothers him when he's not and he tells you that it's there and that he's having to manage it. It's just honesty. Um, and the reason he's so great is because he's able to not take his matches for granted. That's why he wins them all. Mm. I also think I don't think journalists would get very far with asking Nadal about the Grand Slam race mm. when he's not in the final or or he's not done it. His approach to the Grand Slam race is the same as his approach to every match. Well, I've got to win my next match to get to the match where I can maybe overtake Federer. And he says, I mean, he he did give a little line today in his press conference conference about it. He said, yes, I'm motivated by it, but I'm not obsessed by it. And that probably sums up his attitude to it pretty well. He's not going to be talking about it all the time. And if someone asks a question, he'll probably give a fairly standard answer that gives you that insight into how he's thinking about it. And people will probably think, oh, well, let's let's ask him about something else. There is a, there is a line that he delivered in his on-court interview. Um, it's in the notes. I just feel it needs to be read out in a Spanish accent. And I, I'm not equipped to do that then i want to step up and do a nadal impersonation for this brilliant line you are the chief impersonator (laughs) i know but i've been singing you've got to you've got to (laughs) don't 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 make me do something else embarrassing i've been doing dad jokes so come on (laughs) Catherine. oh my spanish you know when you can't do an accent and you give it a go and it just is borat Catherine, you're always doing Nadal, and you're good at you it. Are. Get on with it. He was asked, uh, for you now, the tournament starts, Rafa, and Nadal furrows his brow and goes, well, the tournament starts one week ago. <laughs> 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 Which is, I mean, I feel like this is this has been the day for just the glorious put-downs. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, like, Bless, look, him, I know it? what the interview is getting at there, but Nadal is not the person to say that to. No, and, and look, it's it's so easy to do that as an interviewer. The amount of times I end up in a cliche or something mm. like that that I really didn't intend, and and I'm there for t- for the taking. If a player wants to make me look a fool, um, you know, so I I, I I I get it. But look, that is what separates him. Um, from so many is is his ability not just to say these things but to believe them mm. he was when he came into this tournament he was only thinking about his first point on his first day yeah 
Mm. And if we need an, a Nadal back injury update, he said, if we compare how I was five days ago and how I am today, it's different. And my perspective and excitement is completely different too. Oh, is that from the Spanish portion of the press conference? No, that was that was in English. Interesting. Okay, excitement. That's very, very um, mm. that's ominous. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it is. As is the fact that um, he's not even losing sets. He is. He has now won thirty-three consecutive sets at majors. Uh, that puts him three behind Federer, who has the all-time streak record on 36 and, and McEnroe is second on 35. Check you out with your majors. Billie I Jean know. will be chuffed. Do you mean Billie Jean King? Yeah, not <laughs> BG, BJK9. Yeah, he was asleep on my feet. Um, yeah, so look, I think Stefano Tsitsipas will have a lot to say about whether he can extend that streak. Spoiler alert, Tsitsipas is who he plays in the quarterfinal. Um, yes, Nadal spoiled that. Didn't he? Did you see that moment? Yes. <laughs> so Matteo Berrettini withdrew ahead of ahead of that match um, with pres- with presumably the same injury that that troubled him um, in his previous match against Hachinov. <laughs> um, handed him the walkover news that was broken by Nadal in his pre- in his press <laughs> conference completely inadvertently. Um, he, he was asked uh, about I, his I, next match, and he said, "Well, I, I think it'll be Sitsipas because uh, but all the all the talk backstage is that Berrettini's not even going to play." <laughs> he goes, "Oh, I messed it up." <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, four seconds later, the Oz Open yeah. Twitter feed yeah. burst into action. Oh, crikey, he's thrown us one there! <laughs> yeah. Quick. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a pass against Nadal in the quarters, um, which is very tasty indeed. We know how Sitsipas feels about Nadal. He thinks he is by far the hardest of the big three to play um, for him for a bunch of reasons. He answers that question without hesitation. Um, very funny, isn't it? And I was reminded of this on our Twitter, I, th- I think by Hannah, of the fact that last year he received a walkover in the second round of of the Australian Open, albeit far earlier in the tournament. Um, and he talked about how that completely upset his rhythm and threw it off. You know, he's he's a very delicate soul, is Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, and he ended up losing that match to, to Milos Raonic in very bizarre circumstances following that, that walkover. I don't necessarily think it's going to be the same this time because he's had more time to, to get, into a, get into a groove. But it's just something to to have in the back of one's mind, I think. Yeah. My, my initial reaction was, oh, that might hurt him because, mm. you know, a, a furious match with Berrettini would get him get him ready, etc. Mars um, McLaggen in our BBC coverage disagreed. He felt the maximum amount you can have in your tank, the better, really. Um, and also, he, as you said, he's had a, a five-set match already um, to get to this point. Plus... Raonic's serve, he has a real problem returning these big servers bombs. So that said, Nadal has caused him nightmares in the past. Mm. I went back to read Tsitsipas's press conference after that Raonic match last year. And because in my mind, I thought he'd made a big deal of the walkover. But actually, 
he didn't really. He 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 just talked about being feeling stupid that he couldn't return <laughs> Raonic's serve, and it was the whole press conference was about his inability to get that serve back. He he did say he lost he'd lost a little bit of rhythm, perhaps, but I agree. I think he's he's had a four and a half hour match, and mm. he's played a night session match. He's played on the Rod Laver Arena. I think it's a pretty good result for Sitsipas. I, I think he needs a lot in the tank to go toe-to-toe in the dull. And it's possible Berrettini could have really pushed him and oh, yeah. and mm. worn him out a bit. So maybe a straight sets win over Berrettini would have been the absolutely ideal preparation. But there was also a possibility that that would have dragged. So I think it's, I think it's okay for him. But we'll see. Matt, you said that in today's Fanini disappointment that in sets two and three, Nadal looked there for the taking. Is he there bit. for Sitsipas's taking? Part of that was because of the way Fanini can hurt Nadal when he's playing well. He just wasn't able to put it together properly. Um, but I, I say he was there for the taking. It was only ever one game at a time. And as soon as he got broken, he broke straight back Nadal. He did, he's, he's the best on tour at doing that. Um, but it felt like a lot of that was coming from Fanini, not having just not having it today. If Sitsipas is able to keep it together better, I I guess I think Nadal will win. But this could be the closest Sitsipas has pushed him, other than that one time where he beat him at uh, Madrid. Then they played a tight match at ATP Finals, but that was a bit of a weird tournament. I think in. Well, I think it'll be a lot closer than when they played at the Australian Open semi-finals two years ago, for sure. I think Sitsipas is gradually figuring out how to play Nadal. It, it's still a problematic matchup for him, but every time he steps on court against him, it feels like he's becoming a bit more comfortable. Mm, interesting. The the last remaining uh, quarterfinal in the men's event will be an all-Russian affair. Daniil Medvedev against Andrei Rublev. Rublev, this was a weird one. He beat Kasparud 6276 and then Rude retired. And um, everyone looked completely baffled by that retirement, Andrei Rublev included, because Kasparud had had treatment midway through the second set, um, but then really competed at the end of that second set and looked took it to a tie break, looked fine. Um, it was almost as if he went, oh, well, I I gave it my best and it wasn't good enough. So what's the point in? Uh, I've got, <laughs> I've got nothing else. So um, it's it, it's it's yours. Have the win. <laughs> Rublev looked so surprised um, <laughs> when Kasper Reed went for the handshake. Um, but there you go. He's stored up some in the tank, and he decided to go again with the "How are you?" on the on the interview. Well, he's polite. He's been brought up well. But then looked really embarrassed about it immediately after. <laughs> sort of looked down at the ground and ran his hand through his hair awkwardly. Again, well, I'm like not a... surprised after last time. It's a sits about all over again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was very sweet. Bless him. So Rublev threw uh, Will H- where he'll face uh, his, well, very good friend, Daniil Medvedev, who managed not to have a meltdown. Uh, to beat Mackenzie McDonald, 6-4, Mackenzie McDonald could not possibly be less like Roger Federer in every known respect. I just spent that, that whole match thinking, trying to find a way in which Mackenzie McDonald is like Roger Federer. 
It's a prank, isn't it? This is Medvedev having a have on the on a winder. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Because he said it's, it's quite a good winder. <laughs> he said <laughs> McDonald didn't play as well as I expected him to play. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you think he's Federer, then no wonder he didn't. <laughs> Poor bloke. Think, I mean, do you that, think he, mind games. Is it plausible that he got him confused with someone else? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Dan Evans, I don't know. Yeah, hold on, you're saying Dan Evans. Plays well, he's like been compa- he's that comparison has been made, but appearance wise, I can't see how you'd confuse <laughs> Mackenzie McDonald with with Dan Evans. Um, uh, I mean, I, I think it's a cracking prank. Personally, yeah, I'm with that you. Is what he's done. Um, very, the the, the other thing is, there are other really obvious player comparisons. I mean, for me, it's Nishikori. He's like a sort of slightly less good. Nishikori is trying to sort of maximise his stature, stand stand up on the baseline and not let himself get put, pushed back, take the ball early and rely on his, his timing and movement. Um, I mean, I, I, I sort of was on the fence as to whether it was a prank, but then he said Andre Rublev plays like John Isner and I thought... Did know, he? No, you, no, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> Another dad joke. <laughs> Your first one was better, David. <laughs> um, Medvedev said uh, after the match, at this point, Rublev hadn't won. He said, of course I will cheer for Andre because it will mean we'll have at least one Russian in the semi-final, maybe two with Aslan. Um, so he's very into the whole Russian gang This is This thing. is the first time there's been three Russians in the quarterfinals, isn't it, at any major and the men's and, yeah yeah and it's it's unexpectedly not Hatchinov joining yes. Medvedev and Rublev I think people are probably if you're Hatchinov right now you should be them. really annoyed mm, how you should is. be scrubbing out Aslan Karatsev's face in that photo and photoshopping <laughs> yourself in yeah so tell us about this photo shoot well this is from uh, someone called Matt Johnson on Twitter um he said, I was leaving Melbourne Park today and I saw photographers snapping the three Russian men in the quarterfinals, you know, set up photo shoot. There was a flag involved. Um, he said, they're not emoting whatsoever. So they get told, smile, jump, do something. All I'll say is they didn't comply. And watching it inf- unfold absolutely sent me. <laughs> now, look, I haven't, I haven't known Aslan Karatsev very long. But I already know that he's not going to smile or jump on command. <laughs> <laughs> no. What does the photo look like that you've seen, David? What's the end oh, product? He looks absolutely delighted. <laughs> he looks like he's having the best time with two great mates and that right. they are fans of the Australian Open who have come to support some Russian players and are holding up a big flag and they're just having the best time and to take away with them a memory of the Rod Lev Arena, they've all lined up and got the nearest passerby to have their phone and take a nice picture. Well, how lovely is that? I think that is exactly what the photographer had in mind, David. So mission accomplished. I just, I would love it if someone could confirm for me how long that that shot took to get, how long they were all out there. And what joke he told... <laughs> Maybe it was Aslan. a David Law dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> sort of a, a split second before the eye roll. So it will be Medvedev against Rublev in the quarterfinals. So the quarterfinals kick off uh, tomorrow, 
uh, or tonight UK time, a little bit later, a little bit later start, um, one thirty in the morning UK time, which is 12.30 in the afternoon uh, in Australia. And we think there's been a, a shuffle on the usual sort of standardised schedule. Mm. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, well, certainly last year, the two quarterfinal days were the two women's quarterfinals during the day and a men's quarterfinal, and then only one men's quarterfinal at night. And they replicated that on both days. And in 2019, it was the same except for one day where they did a men's and women's in the day and a men's and women's at night. And that's what they're doing on certainly tomorrow. Um, so we've got Shea Osaka first up and then Dimitrov Karatsev. And then the night session is Serena Halep and Djokovic Zverev. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's exactly what it should be. They, they, Absolutely. That is I've, the second week Australian Open scheduling has annoyed me for quite a long time. And this is... I think what they should be doing all the time. I mean, it's, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah. The the, the only. I mean, I, I agree with you. Uh, to me, the the headline match is the one that's first in the evening session, and that's should be Serena Williams against Simona Halep. That's the one I want to watch more than any of the others, and I want to watch a lot of them. But that that one is the is the prime time match. The flip side is that all of our American listeners are going to be having that if they're on the East Coast in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. And that's a blow for ESPN's viewing figure numbers. I'm sure they would have made a case for having that as an early match that could have fitted into their prime time, you know. But uh, just more generally, this feels right locally. Um, to be the, the, the centre of attention. Serena's played day session at every match so far. This will be her first mm. night session. And I think she's she requests day session now. She's she's made that clear in terms of it probably helps her tennis, but I think it also helps her routine at these tournaments. Whereas Halep has played night session every single time. So she will be mm. she will be more used to those conditions, perhaps if there's a big difference. That is interesting. Uh, Patrick Moratoglu overnight gave his um, press conference as the coach of one of the women's quarter finalists, um, and he said on Serena's movement, just to kind of back up what our assessment has been. He said, "Is she moving better than last year? Yes, for sure. Is she moving better than the last three years? Yes, for sure." If you can't move well, there's no plan B. The only plan is attack. I think it cost her that. A few important matches. I agree. Uh, having watched back that rally I described to you in yesterday's show of her chasing down those ground stroke drives of Sabalenka and winning a point on defence <clears throat> like that, I I saw something that that I just haven't seen in years, and and it was confirmed to me watching it back. It's it's really something. I mean, hopefully she remains fully fit because. That's always going to be an unknown. And I do feel that there's a chance you can blast Simona Halep off the court, but you've got a better chance if you're moving well as well because landing enough knockout blows from a standing position more or less is is difficult. Um, so, yeah, I think it, I think we could be in for an absolute belter. Mm. You'll be commentating on Five Live Sports Extra? Yeah, yeah it will be. It'll be our first match. Um, so... 
Yeah, really looking forward to that. Um, I, I, what, what time's the night session? 7 p.m. local time? So uh, we're on air on BBC Radio with Tennis Breakfast is our show that we call it. 7 o'clock in the morning, we have an hour of looking back on the night session that's just happened and having a chat about previewing the matches to come. So, yeah, it'll be Serena against Simona Halep. And, that's, uh, that's usually an hour of David's colleagues saying, David, you've been up since 1am. Uh, Tell us what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> they do look at me as if I've completely lost my marbles, which um, would be correct. Um, and then what's the second match in the evening session tomorrow? Djokovic and Zverev. Oh, right, yeah. Well, that's full of intrigue. Mm. Um, so that's tomorrow. Just to uh, bring you up to date with one other thing that happened today, Bianca Andreescu won. Uh, as from our Twitter, despite a sore hip slash thigh, a flock of seagulls, the evidence of their presence all over the court, a plague of beetles and a determined Madison Brengel, Bianca Andreescu wins 7-6-4-6-6-3. That's in the Phillip Island tournament. So Andreescu doing Andreescu things. That was hilarious. <laughs> a flock of about 50 seagulls all over the court, squawking the whole match, <laughs> pooing on the court. They had to stop to wipe the poo and the beetles off the court. <laughs> I mean, Andrescu was hating every single minute of it. <laughs> and I think, the, you know, the coaches felt like they were in danger of being pooed on in the, in the stands. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Brengel called it like a Hitchcock movie. Um, <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. But, yeah, I couldn't quite believe they played on or didn't find another court or something. Uh, So she plays Zarina Diaz in the next round. So we'll keep an eye on on notable things happening over on Phillip Island with all the penguins. And I'll definitely keep an eye on what the trophy looks like in a week's time. Uh, So that's your Day 8 tennis podcast. I've got one one other result I just wanted to mention. Hit me. Um, which was the wheelchair single semi-final between Alfie Hewitt and Shingo Kaneda, Ooh, yeah. who was the, the top seed and had, uh, was has won forty five Grand Slams, um, and Hewitt got the win six three six four, uh, and so he's into the final. He plays Joachim Gerard. He was hoping to play Gordon Reed, who was in the other semi, but Reed was beaten by um, Gerard in a very close match, and then they they played the doubles and got to the final of that. And I interviewed them afterwards for, for the radio. And it was just really interesting hearing about their, their quarantine journey as well, you know, and, and they were so uplifted at having had chance to, to play in this event. They, they said that this whole experience has changed their outlook in terms of just feeling grateful to be able to play professional tennis uh, during this time when, it's so difficult and they really get it, I think, how how difficult it is to stage these events. And obviously, you know, I think the attitude that that was felt around the US Open as, as well as they did to get the event on and the wheelchair events were just made to feel like an afterthought until a big storm was kicked up and seems like Tennis Australia have taken a completely different tack and really really made it something and uh yeah it was it was just great to see how energized they were and there were not a bit of complaints about any of it of the quarantine process oh that's that's yeah that's really nice to hear the uh the women's wheelchair final 
is uh, it's the top two seeds, Dida de Groot and Yui Kamiji. Uh, so that'll be on in the coming days as well. Um, that's it, I think, for your day eight, apart from Me shout too. outs and the the now ever present possibility that Matt might break into song. Who have we got, Matt? <laughs> We've got Tony Penny. Oh, right, hello, Tony. Tony. Hey, Tony, Tony. Tony's a Queen's Club member who's ever so nice to us. Yes. And he's always, he always, he always uh, joins our competitions and quizzes and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great name. Yes. Thank you, Tony. Uh, another great name, Matthew Nager. Oh. Right, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Well, we love the name Matthew in, in yeah. these parts. Mm. That's right. And you, you can join the Matthew Club. <laughs> yeah. Matthew, thank you. And Thanks for your support. finally, Marty Betton. Oh, like, like Marty, Marty McFly. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was a good film, wasn't it? Yeah. Which wow. one was the best, though? I think Back to the Future 2 is the best. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> well, why did you ask the question, then? Because I wanted to see if you had the... I think Back to the Future 1 and 2 are both perfect films. But something separates 2 Well, from you one. put me on the spot. Oh, okay. I, th- I didn't. Well, one's better. Yeah, I think one's better. Okay. I mean, I, this up? I respect your opinion. There's nothing to choose between them. I think they're both genuinely perfect films. <laughs> Do you know, they filmed, um, they did six weeks of filming of, uh, of Back to the Future with a different actor. And it was going yes. so yes. badly. It was, wasn't, it, wasn't it Eric Stoltz? It was Eric Stoltz, yeah. Yeah. I liked Eric Stoltz. And it's a shame. Um, they sort of, they watched the dailies and they were like, this isn't working, you can't do comedy. And um, ditched him. Oh, yeah. Shame. Would you ever get well, over that? That is <laughs> it's just awful. Oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, Marty, thanks ever so much for your support. <laughs> thanks, Marty. Um, David Rogue is your mascot. I think you right, got Rogue. some points today, didn't you? No, no I went okay. on Fabio Fanini for some reason. Um, oh, so, Rogue, you and me have got a bit of work to do, right? Up your game. Matt, I think Scales and Mousel got some points today. Yes, Jessica Pagula. Oh, yes, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, Zeus, I'm afraid we didn't have any opportunity to get points today. I did a prediction that I had absolutely no conviction in whatsoever because it was sort of the only option left on the table. Um, And then Matteo Berrettini ended up withdrawing. So, Zeus, we get to go, we get to ride twice tomorrow. Um, so that is something to look forward to. Uh, Crumble is our Australian Open mascot. Hello, Crumble. Hello, Jim. Crumble's human. Um, and our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee. Hello, Chris. You're a top bloke. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow with our ninth daily tennis podcast. Sign up to our newsletter. Uh, sign. Go to our Reddit, our subreddit. That's good as well. Linked in the show notes. Linked in the show notes. Um, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. It's mostly dog leave content, us, but leave us a what's, review. What's not to like there? Leave us an iTunes review. Tell your friends. Enjoy Yay. all of our content, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.